are live, disturbingly enough. I'm not Sean. Um, we are just a minute out from starting Talking Tech. My name is Melanie Lytle. I'm the head of public services. I am filling in for Sean today as he is at another library making a technology presentation. So he'll probably be listening to this later anyway. And we have the always here and always organized and ready to go, Charlie. Yes, clearly I'm very organized. We just had a lot of craziness happen this morning. <laughs> well, when the power goes out over the weekend, it does make Monday a little bit more exciting than necessary. Yes. So I think we are now at the magic time. So we'll say, please go ahead and feel free to communicate with us through chat, whether you're following us on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, um, anything else, and you're talking with us live. You can also comment not live when you're watching this later. And um, if you have a question, someone will get back to you. So do you want to lead off today or would you like me um, to? I think you could lead off today because okay. I'm kind of doing a little bit of troubleshooting back and forth here. Well, because you're trying to do multiple things because that's normally what Sean does. And I, this was better than like a regular news feed. I got articles sent to me that were of interest to me personally that relate to technology. So I do appreciate that. And so I'm going to start. I am a big live music fan. Um although I kind of tend to be more of an orchestra person versus a rock concert, but I love a good rock concert anyway. Um, so a company called Not Impossible Labs has created a vest for people who have auditory challenges, whether it's an auditory processing issue or um, whatever it might be, who are not really able to um, experience a concert in all of its amazing physical as well as auditory joy. They have one that um, gives you a sensory experience. So it's a little bit more than, I guess, what used to happen before, where if you stood close to a speaker or used different kinds of, they called them tricks, you could feel some of the vibrations of the music. So this is more than that. And so this company has been working on this um, for the past year or so, they it is a haptic suit, hmm. um, similar to one used for virtual reality, with 24 vibrating plates or actuators in the, so 20 are in this vest, and then there are two that go, one that goes around each wrist and one that goes around each ankle, so 24 total. And so the cool thing is that it involves a software program that DJs and musicians can interact with in order to um, integrate the suits into uh, what they're doing. It's not necessarily that the vibrations are synced with the songs, but they're saying that it complements the music experience. So I must admit, this is very cool. I appreciate that they said that they had a silent disco at Lincoln Center in New York City um, on in July. So just the idea of a silent disco just really um, cracks me up. So this company apparently has done a lot of different things. I feel like perhaps they might have been mentioned in previous talking texts. Apparently they have done drones with refrigerator backpacks to deliver vaccines to remote areas. Um, hmm a text-based service that allows those experiencing food insecurities to obtain nutritious meals from local restaurants and grocery stores. I feel like maybe I've heard of them before and I might've been for the drone thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, could you imagine get, you know, instead of, because you can go to theaters or things like that and pick up um, headsets and things like that. But I just like the idea of going to, saying, hello, I'd like to pick up my vest, please. And you're strapping <laughs> this thing on and on your wrists and your ankles. And so you can experience experience live music. So I must admit that yeah. absolutely appeals to me in, in that musical sense. Yeah. I mean, it seems kind of cool. I mean, 
it's just going to be odd to be a silent disco. Well, I mean, Other I think that point. <laughs> ideally, like if you were going to see. Now oh, I just lost. I don't know <laughs> that it would necessarily work if you were going to a Taylor Swift concert, but. Oh, yeah. It, I, it certainly seems like it's more like if you were going to clubs or something like that. So, that, I mean, I just, I think that it's amazing that we've gotten to this point. So mm -hmm. now we can look, look for people wearing really awesome vests when we, when we go to live music venues. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to see if you can somehow segue from live music venue into whatever it is that you're. Yeah, somehow segue into, um, how Best Buy will no longer be carrying physical movies starting oh. in 2024. Bummer. I know. It's. I mean, I guess I understand that, but... Slowly but surely, um, eventually, at some point, the Best Buy will stop selling anything from Blu-rays to DVDs. That's including the high-end Blu-rays, which do the 4K and all that kind of stuff, and they're going to slowly start taking away... Uh, physical movie media out of their stores. But now here's my question, because last time I was in Best Buy, which actually wasn't that long ago, they had records. Mm -hmm. They still do vinyl. So they're going to sell records, mm -hmm. but yet they're getting rid of DVDs. Mm -hmm. Well, they got rid of CDs back in 2018. Which I still find fascinating that they have records, but they don't have CDs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting um thing going on because like there's like they're keeping physical video games and stuff that's staying but that's you know up to interpretation at some point later in the future as well um but like they still have vinyl which i mean I vinyl's coming back really i agree and there's something about listening to a record that is pretty awesome but i just like you've <laughs> You're keeping records, but you're getting rid of these other things. Yes. So, like, no more DVDs, no more Blu-rays, at least at Best Buy. Now, you can okay. still, I think you can still go to Walmart and Target and all those places and still I get them. I don't know what Walmart would do if they weren't selling Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah, I mean, they sell, I mean, they sell mostly everything. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it just really depends. But this is going to probably be the start of everything going to a digital kind of market which i know some people are excited for others are not it's a very mixed bag of opinions with moving from physical to digital media i just feel like once you're buying rights to something you can very easily no longer have the rights to something mm -hmm. i like i like having something physical mm -hmm. i can agree i like the physical like the collection on the wall which people are starting not to like anymore but you know. i mean i have moved mine collections of things to like Rubbermaid totes so they're not mm -hmm. you know out but I still like having them I just like having like the bookshelf of just CDs and DVDs and stuff like that just to kind of show off what you have well and that's how you got to know people you're like oh do they have similar DVD tastes to me like mm -hmm. you go to their house and like oh I don't think I like their movies maybe <laughs> I don't like them I don't know <laughs> um and boy if you just came in on that discussion that would be fantastic um so i have i don't think i can very easily segue from best buy into I mean, where i'm it was no better than me going from talking about super crazy electronic i don't know silence um music venue vests to that's true so <laughs> to best buy if media. you are turning in for the super smooth segues between news items Today might not be the best day for you. Probably not. Um, but we're still doing news. That, so I think I've now found it, um, a new place that I enjoy finding news. So this is a little bit of an older item, but I feel like I can, um, this one I'm interested in because if you have not visited us in person, and please do because we're awesome and humble, and have a lot of amazing machinery in our create space, including some 3D printers. Um, we have had students, whenever we go um, out into the community and we talk about our 3D printers, inevitably there is a child or more than one who decides to ask us what's the biggest thing that we can print. And we tell them, you know, dimensions and whatever, but we always end up saying that, you know, they could go online and there are all kinds of different, um, 
businesses and companies that are starting to build homes or structures um, with a 3D printer. So apparently in Madagascar, they have the second largest 3D printed school in the world. Hmm. Which I find absolutely... So the reason apparently why they did this is that they have a school building shortage in Madagascar um, because there aren't enough schools. So children have to travel long distances. I feel like this is going to be something that we'll end up sharing with some of our students when we see them, because this is something that they could really um, wrap their mind around. So apparently this school is um, 706 or 765 square feet. So it's not a very large building, but apparently large enough that um, it can, and this is actually apparently, this particular one is on the land of a university and they are using it for 30 engineering students to have classroom space. So in this case, it's not for elementary school students, but the idea is still the same because this ended up taking three weeks to build. And at that point, so this is a little bit pre-inflation, it was only, only $300,000 to build. <laughs> um, so half the cost went towards the printer rental and equipment transportation. Hmm. So um, this is... So the person, there's a person running a company called Thinking Huts, and their sole job or plan is to reduce the cost of schools by um, building them with 3D printers. So I must, so it was actually also started by someone who went to the University of Colorado, Boulder. And so she has been taking this different places to try to, um, build different schools or raise money because currently she rents 3D printers. So she wants to purchase one. So this is just a very cool, cool idea and a wonderful way to talk about 3D printers outside of the realm of um, what most people are familiar with, like replacing a piece for a machinery or perhaps doing something hobby related, but um, uh, a, another building application. So Kind of, that is very cool. <clears throat> I'm kind of, kind of excited. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, we've always known that um, 3D printers can do more than just the, <clears throat> for say the the typical knickknack printing and all that kind of stuff. I was trying to get but, away with. I'm trying not to say that. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's true because that's what most people think of it as. But for the most part, 3D printers can print a lot more than just little like desk desktop items and stuff like that it's quite interesting to see what they can do i mean first it's printing houses and that next it's going to be printing and making vehicles and all that kind of stuff as I'd well i'd be really interested in that and and how they can apply that i mean there vehicles. are liquid metal printers that will print out full sheets there's no need for much machining well in this current stage, it's not usable yet, but it's still like testing phases, but still. <laughs> yeah, these days that could only just be a couple of years away. Oh, exactly. Could be very well closer to the, in, in our future than right now. So we'll see. So I'm gonna say there is probably no way to segue from a 3D printed school. <laughs> no, to now, um, saying that the iPhone 12 will soon be legal again in France. Oh. So I think in the last Talking Tech that I, uh, we did, uh, I talked about how the, um, the French government did ban the iPhone 12 from uh, being used in France for the reason of radiation. Um, I guess the radiation standards for the uh, French um, radiation... Um, how do I say radiation group, whatever you want to call it, um, said that it was too high for public consumption or public use. So Apple had to stop selling or France forced the sale or stopped the sales of all iPhone 12s and the use of all iPhone 12s in the country until 
uh, Apple could come up with a way to fix it. And Apple pushed out a new software update to where it lowered the radiation to what France considers safe levels of radiation. <laughs> so I have a lot of questions about this. Like, were oh, they looking? Electromagnetic emissions test protocols. Were they looking for people at the airport and saying, please show me your phone? And if you had an iPhone 12, you had to leave it in the air. I mean, that just seems very hard to yeah. police. Well, I'm trying to, well, it says temporarily banned the sales. So I'm wondering if you had it, it wouldn't, they wouldn't stop you from using it. It's just that they would prefer that you don't. They didn't really say if it really stopped, stopped people from using it, but I know France was very adamant to fix this um, admissions thing for the iPhone 12, which was kind of interesting for the headline when it first came out. But then my other question is, then that implies that the rest of the world is letting their citizens be having this greater level of radiate. I don't know. It's just a lot in yeah. that whole story. Yeah. So the whole thing is now is that the... Um, the update's supposed to lower it instead of from when it was uh, up super. I guess the radiation was too high, banned it, brought it back because Apple did fix the update or with an update and everything else. So we will see how that goes because um, it was an interest. like I said, again, interesting headline when I first read it at first, um, but now it's all fixed. So... If anyone's watching from France, you can use your iPhone 12 again if you really have one. <laughs> I was hoping that maybe we would have... Are we not having the chat? I think the open? chat... I forgot to open the chat okay. window. Maybe we should do that in case there are yeah, people that... Yeah, that might be. There are. might be chatting over there, and I they don't They could see be it. chatting without us. So yeah. do you want to do that, or do you want me to yeah, do Yeah, I'll go it? do that. Okay. Charlie's easy. It's easier for him to walk around, because we are... We don't have someone manning the computer today. Um, we're we're a little bit down on people, which happens. So on the off chance that there have been like 10 questions that have come in, um, you know, we want to make sure that we answer them. Mm -hmm. But it also gives me an opportunity to not segue gracefully into my next story this will be why charlie does not invite me back to fill in <laughs> because apparently i have not looked for technology related news stories as well before so now there are all these other interesting ones okay this just makes me unreasonably happy parrots talking to other parrots through video chat <laughs> I don't know why this just brings me such joy. Obviously, I can't even stop smiling about this. So apparently, Northeastern University um, decided to do a study of 18 parrots. And they um, felt that some of the parrots were lonely. And so the idea is that because they were very, very social and they were looking for a way for these parrots to continue to be social and whether there was a technology intervention that would help. So apparently, according to this article, they taught these intelligent birds how to video call on Facebook Messenger. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is just so joyful. So they spent two weeks teaching the parrots how to use Facebook Messenger and introducing them to potential friends um, that were chosen based on their size and time zone. Um, and so then after they completed their two weeks of training, the birds were allowed to decide who they wanted to call. So apparently um, there is some human intervention necessary um, because the parrots had to hit something. The parrot who wanted to talk, just love this, um, had to hit something on their end that sent a bell to the other parrot's owner, that someone wanted a smartphone. And so they had to um, tap. So the person who want, so now you've got the, the one parrot initiating the call, and then it had to alert the owner of the other bird to get a tablet or a smartphone or whatever. And so then that bird had to touch a picture of the first bird. I'm a little confused as to how they, 
because you could call up to two friends and talk to them for a maximum of five minutes. I'm not, I just feel like I got lost in who was tapping what and what if one bird picked the wrong birds. This is where I'm a little confused. But they did this for three months, apparently. And so apparently it worked very well for some of these parrots. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you for the response. Said you are having too much fun. Yes, I am. Um, so apparently, in case you want to find out how this, this story ends, um, some of the birds sang to each other. Some of them um, turned themselves upside down. And others wanted to show the bird on the other end of the phone, the toy that they had wherever they were. So apparently this is a viable option if you have a lonely parrot. Um, or apparently a cockatoo. This is just absolutely astounding. So video chats can apparently, according to the researchers, are allowing these birds to have better socialization than they do just living, not really by themselves, but without other birds in their home. Um, so I guess if you have a lonely bird, this is something you should look into. Um, I don't know. This is just absolutely astounding. I just brings me so much joy. So can you so top video chatting parrots? Probably not. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, um, let's see. Yeah, no, I cannot top the birds talking to each other over video chat at this point in time. Though I will say that um, recently we've been getting into more of the topic of AI replacing voices. Mm. Um, that has been a topic of discussion probably for like the last month, month and a half, um, because people are using the voice uh, altercation um, or alteration um, programs to make deceased actors, parents, friends, whatever it was, to make video messages for themselves and stuff like oh, is that. that. I saw something. Was it Robin Williams' daughter who yes. came out very strongly and very publicly against that? Yes. Zelda Williams was very not for it at all. Um, for his, reusing his voice for things for upcoming uh, movies and stuff like that. If, say, Disney or anyone wanted to use him for their movies. Um, but there are some that are very for it. Um, like recently there was a um, video game voice actor that's passed away. Um, but he wrote that he is okay with his voice being used with an AI filter to be reused in later parts of certain games. So if he ever needs his voice redone or worked on, he can do it. They can use his voice with free will. So then my question is, who is getting paid? Like, is the estate of the person getting paid for permission to use their voice and modify it I'm, via I'm, AI? I'm pretty sure. Um, they didn't really explain who, if they're really gonna move it to um him or his estate or if it was still going to like his family that he left behind that kind of thing um they didn't really express that too much but then i also have the no fakes act wants to protect actors and singers from unauthorized oh. ai replicas now see that i i feel like that was it was just a matter of time before that was going to happen yes i mean for I mean, looking at going on TikTok and all these other sites that just really just kind of push out content as much as possible. Um, there's been singers and stuff that people have made, like, how do I, how would I call it? Um, just made like parodies of songs and things with their voices in it, and they the actors never gave, or the singers or actors never gave consent to do them. So taking that in consideration. Um, it's a bipartisan bill. Oh, um, that's a first in and yes. of itself lately. Um, federal rules around likeness laws and how AI replicas can be used. Um, it prevents the production of digital replica without consent of applicable 
individual or rights holder unless part of a news, public affairs, sports broadcast, documentary, or biographical work. The rights would apply throughout the person's lifetime and their estate 70 years after their death. Okay. So then that's very similar to how copyright is handled yes. because it's 70 years after. So it's, it's pushing copyright then. for the most part. I can see that because that then stays in line with copyright for other media like books and movies and TV and, and things like that. So I feel, I feel actually not bad about that. And then the bill includes an exception, though, for using digital duplicates for parodies, satire, and criticism. It also excludes commercial activities like commercials as long as the advertisement is for news, a documentary, or a parody. Except you could really get into some fuzzy water as far as what can constitutes a parody. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, when Weird Al does a parody, mm -hmm. it's very clearly a parody. I mean, I think occasionally, I don't think he's ever had like the actual artist as part of it. I think they've been like much later in time. But he's very clearly doing a parody. The tune is the same but the words are different or they're related or i just feel like the parody thing could really end up being a very gray area that's very yeah i mean very sticky. i'm kind of looking at something some somewhere along like snl using ai voices for parodies and mm. that would be just kind of like hitting the line at certain spots right so i could totally see that being a good and a bad thing at the same time because if you use the digital version of themselves during their news segment mm -hmm. is that parody or is it news because they do mm -hmm. have real news items I don't it's kind I... of i think it's still kind of like working on the whole um what do we do when this happens sort of thing because it really hasn't gotten that much work or you know, thought into it at this current point. Cause it, I think it just kind of got thrown onto the house floor as of recently. So, and fr I mean, frankly, that's, it's am amazing that they've gotten that much together in a bipartisan bill, even to start mm -hmm. with. So I'd be like, just take it and go with it at least to get started. So moving from potential legislation <laughs> to now I'm onto space. I, I've, <clears throat> I have a couple articles that have to do with space because space is just cool. Um, and this just has the best headline. It's so clicky because I had to click on it because it just was so great. And the headline is astronomer claims tying a sun umbrella to an asteroid in space could cut global warming on Earth. How can you not click on the article because that just seems absolutely impossible. So I did click on the article and the answer is, and so umbrella stays in quotes. That is, um, I was about to say umbrella term. That was horrible. I didn't really mean to make that bad a joke. Um, so I guess, and what, what this article goes on to say is, um, people have proposed this for many, many years. What has gotten traction, or at least a little bit of traction with this um, particular suggestion, is the astronomer in question who works at the University of Hawaii Institute for Astronomy has a more viable way of creating a, I'm going to go with shield, not umbrella, mm -hmm. that um, could, because uh, I guess the issue primarily has been weight. And so there are two things. He is proposing that um, an asteroid be used as a counterweight for this. So it would keep um, keep the shield from falling back toward Earth and the gra gravity would, would kind of keep it rotating. But his, I guess the big issue, it, and he wrote this whole paper on it and presented it at a conference. Um, so the issue is the large amount of weight needed to make the shield had um, been too expensive and really just practically impossible. So what um, he has proposed is that the that having this asteroid would mean that the weight of the shield could be um, significantly less. So that would 
um, bring it to approximately 3.5 million tons as opposed to, and it's, that makes it a hundred times lighter than anyone else's previous suggestions. Um, and so they feel that the chances of this while still um, at this point, not viable um, in the leaps and bounds that things have been, that things have been going, it makes his approach more probable with prior concepts being completely unachievable. I just think that it seems so hard to believe that you could just put this little shield and tie it to an asteroid. You're like, yeah, that's going to work. But on the other hand, maybe it would. I don't know. It is all current theory at this point. Well, the fact that apparently this guy makes a much better argument than previous people, I guess that's why... Um, it was, his paper was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. But one of the simplest ways to lower the global temperature is to shade the Earth from just a fraction of the sun's light. I just, because the, the images that it's showing basically look like this kite thing attached to an asteroid. I, I, I don't know. It's clickbait, but it's still interesting clickbait. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess kind of rolling into mine just a little bit. But, oh, yay. Uh, we have a we smoother have segue. A small, smoother segue. Yes. But um, we are, imagine building a house that can suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. Oh, wow. So instead of using traditional concrete. Okay. This concrete, which it's kind of concrete, but it's not concrete. It's kind of a weird in between. Um, we'll use the culprit that is actually used like for whatever cement uses and one of its key ingredients is responsible that's supposedly responsible for eight percent of carbon dioxide emissions is being taken out and being replaced with it's down here somewhere it was brime and something else it was down here somewhere i've completely skipped over it now that's oh, okay that's slag and brine okay which comes from the waste of steel mm-hmm so taking the waste from those steel plants and making it into a concrete mixture, it's supposed to save, it's supposed to be as good as 5,200 mature trees. Wow. So the house that they built, which is a 1,250 square foot home, mm, not bad. is supposed to have captured as much as CO2, like I said, as of 5,200 mature trees a year. Now, I could see that being, if they could actually make it viable and affordable, I could see that in um, places where they're trying to build housing, particularly in urban areas. I could see that if it actually would work and taking a waste product. Mm -hmm. That would be very cool. Yeah, because they're saying like, you know, they're making use of the waste and everything else. So it's not necessarily just kind of like sitting there not being used. And it will start, you know, starting to trap more of the CO2 in the air into the concrete, which, and it's supposed to last better around seawater as well. Actually, it's supposed to strengthen with seawater <laughs> as it's closer to the seawater. So it's kind of interesting to see how that will all play out because I, you know, knowing how we've used concrete for so long, and it's the same with like every other material, we've used all of this stuff for so long, and now we're pushing on to newer, better things. So, so I wonder then if it's good near seawater, would then as you're replacing buildings in hurricane prone areas, would you be using this kind of concrete? Yes. So they're saying that with it being, it strengthens itself closer to the seawater. It will make it better for like, you know, like what was it last year, a year and a half ago, something like that. We had those buildings collapse in Miami and all that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. That would help actually stop that issue at this current point in time from what they're saying um and with you know rising seas and everything else it would also be a little bit stronger against the seawater if it does start to get at it a little bit more okay that was very cool and it was a pretty smooth transition yeah well because conveniently we're talking about um global warming and all that kind of stuff so it kind of rolled in a little bit more <laughs> it 
than uh, it has before. It did, it did. I don't know. I mean, I really do. So I think then it's sort of, I mean, now we're into like the sort of related. So um, Caltech, so California Institute of Technology is exploring the idea of how they can collect sunlight in space and send it to earth. So with solar cell and things like that, you, you know, you're looking, you're get you're trying to get your energy when it's sunny. So this would be something that, or, you know, if you're in a cloudy, we tend to be a little bit cloudier. So um, the idea is that since the sun shines in space all the time, um, that you could get solar power from space. So they are using a special tool called MAPLE, um, which is an acronym that they have not um, explained, which makes me a little bit upset because I feel like, oh, at the bottom of the article, MAPLE stands for Microwave Array of Power Transfer Low Orbit Experiment. And now I understand why they just have been calling it maple through the whole article. <laughs> so the idea is then that they're trying to use this to capture microwaves and seeing if they can't um, use this as a more, um, I don't think inexpensive is the right word. <laughs> um, perhaps, well, let's go with as a way to use less fossil fuels. So this article is talking about how it's beaming the energy all the way down to the lab in Caltech. And so it is, so now it is possible to send solar energy to the earth from space. So basically that was really all they were trying to do is, is do proof of concept. So um, they're not expecting that this is going to be um, used large scale. They were anticipating that it would be something that could send energy to remote areas or areas that had been devastated by a natural disaster. So they had power like to run generators or, you know, keep food refrigerated or things like that. So um, I don't think that it's going to be how we power our cities, but they were looking at it for more small scale. So that is kind of cool. I just the thought of beaming energy down to Caltech from space seems a little bit, um, a little funny, but so, I mean, there are so many different um, new initiatives these days for um, getting energy or trying to deal with some of the challenges that we are having. So can you smoothly transition from solar cells in space to whatever you have next? Uh Great question, and I'm going to have to answer that question with a no. <laughs> okay. Well, we had a few that was a little yeah, bit we smoother. Had, yeah, we had a few. But, but I mean, Charlie doesn't normally have to transfer from parrots doing video chat. I think he and Sean coordinate a little bit better than uh, Charlie and it, I well, had it, this it depends, morning. It depends on the news articles that we can find in a day, usually. <laughs> but um, right to repair. So the really cool bill going around uh, most of the United States right now um, to repair your electronic devices is now the law in California. So they actually have signed the right to repair act into law there in California. So manufacturers will start to sell or are supposed to start selling parts to help fix or, and, and also make phones, uh, laptops, other electronic devices easier to maintain and take care of, um, and be able to be fixable by, your own hand if you do feel suitable for it. I will not be repairing my own cell phone. No. But for people like me, you or could repair Sean, your own cell phone. Or, you know, some other people that I know, we could absolutely, if like I crack my screen and I decide I want to replace the screen, I could go buy the parts for that screen and replace it if I really wanted to. Or same with like batteries and all that kind of stuff. So this law is actually kind of nice because this will start pushing um, other parts of the country to start signing that stuff into law now, which will be really nice, <laughs> at least for me and other small local um, 
electronic shops and all that kind of stuff because it's hard to obtain uh, obtain certain parts and pieces without having to be a um, partner of said brand and all that kind of stuff. It's not easy <laughs> at all. Now, see, my next question is then does that apply to larger appliances? Because I've just been going through this, looking at a new refrigerator and some repair people are like, well, we do these, but we don't do repair these refrigerators because you have to be a licensed, mm -hmm. you know, whoever fixer. So I feel like that would mean that I should be able to buy whatever refrigerator I want because someone should be able to fix it. Yeah. I mean, there's still probably going to be some companies that are going to be more along the lines of, well, you need to at least do some training to do certain things with our things and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, um, they're really pushing the you can repair it yourself type ideas right now. Um, now, mainly to mobile devices, I'm not sure if we're getting into the refrigerators, whole refrigerators <laughs> and stuff just yet, but I'm sure... With that being said, I'm sure that's somewhere down the line very I would, soon. As I would well. assume so. I understand wanting to to fix your own computer or your cell phone, and those are very expensive devices and pieces of well, equipment. So are so are appliances. <laughs> yes, they are. More information than you wanted to know. Um, yes, that was a very disturbing discovery. But my refrigerator issues are a whole other topic for not now. Um, unless someone else wants to talk about refrigerators. Um, so going to NASA. So I'm still in space. Yes, space. Um, I realized that could to be taken a whole bunch of different directions. So back in the end of September, so about a month ago or so, touching down in the desert of Utah was um, a sample collected from Osiris the... Oh, yeah, I think it's Osiris, um, Rex spacecraft that NASA had launched in 2016. And it spent two years traveling through space to reach the asteroid, I'm going to say Bennu. I apologize to this asteroid if I have just mispronounced your name. <laughs> um, don't know. So the idea is that um, NASA wanted to take a sample from the asteroid to find out what it was made of, what kinds of secrets could it tell about the creation of the solar system. So it got there, took about two years. So, well, actually more than that. So in 2020, the spacecraft touched the surface and took about eight and a half ounces of material from the asteroid. Apparently it took so much that the lid wouldn't close. I don't know why this detail is bringing me such joy, but I'm like, I feel like this is such a normal thing to have happen. You took a big handful and now it doesn't fit wherever you're trying to put it. Um, so anyway, so after it picked up its eight and a half ounces of stuff, uh, it started heading back to Earth. So it took a, so what I find fascinating is they took it four years to get there, but mm -hmm. only three years to get back. That's what I don't quite understand. So in any case, headed back to Earth. And so it touched down in Utah about a meter away from its um, target landing spot. So I guess that in and of itself is also spectacularly awesome that it did that. So it made it through coming back through the atmosphere. And so they wrapped up the capsule so it could be flown by helicopter to a clean room. Um so this, the material is now at Johnson, Johnson Space Center in Houston. So there is a very special lab. I just like the article said, we're a very special lab, as opposed to an ordinarily special lab. What does, I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Anyway, um, that is going to be analyzing the sample that it believes to have been almost completely unspoiled. Hmm. So ideally, they're hoping, I guess, to find, and so the article talks about what they're hoping to find, and they're looking for amino acids and um, simple molecules. But apparently now Osiris Rex has been given a name change. So now he's Osiris Apex and is traveling to another asteroid called 
Pophis. Again, I apologize, asteroid lovers, if I have just mispronounced your favorite asteroid's name, but it is now off to another asteroid to collect um, samples and bring it back to the United States. This is very cool. I, say, I think there was something in the news, too, that um, when they extracted some minerals from a recent, or it might be, it might have been the one that we're talking about right now. Um, when they extracted some of the minerals, they actually got two new minerals that they found. Well, it said that Japan has sent um, things to asteroids <clears throat> before. Um, so, so it's very exciting. Yeah, because there, there was something on the lines of when they sent that drone or whatever it was, the um, satellite, whatever it is, they sent it, it came, or took out whatever it was and then came back. Uh, when they studied the stuff that was in it, they got like two new minerals or something, I think, included with whatever they found. Which there was, would, there was, a, which there was an article sense. somewhere, but I, oh, yeah. I could have lost it from like however long ago that was. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I mean, I think that this is, I mean, it's an area that certainly we're getting into as we're, as we're looking for new minerals or different or additional deposits of particular minerals. I think it's an interesting direction to be heading. So hopefully, um, I would hope in the next few months. So this was about a month ago that that the spacecraft that the depot the sample was dropped dropped off in Utah. Um, so I would hope over the next couple of months that we're starting to see some of the analysis. And so perhaps on a future tech news, someone else will talk about that was found on the asteroid. Most likely Sean more than me, but... I, I was going to guess that might be more likely. Because <laughs> Sean is the space guy um, Well, I think far. that's partially because his son is a space lover. So I think by definition, dad has no choice. That makes sense, I guess. So let's see. What is in the news right now? As I kind of go through... Some more articles here. Well, I guess while you're looking for an article, I think Sean usually does a short advertisement of what we have going on. Sometimes, Sometimes. Yes. Well, I feel that this is a good time to do that because we are coming in on probably the last 15 minutes or so of our Talking Tech for today. Um, so if you happen to be um, in our area, we have a lot of things happening over the next couple of weeks relating to Halloween. If you're listening to this um, several months in the future, it won't be near Halloween then. But if you happen to be listening and you are able to come to our parking lot trick-or-treat on Friday, October 27th from 6 to 7.30, we will have Gus the Book Bus and Stan the Tech Van out in the parking lot along with some other staff members under tents because we do this rain or shine. Um, and sometimes it's rained and sometimes it's snowed. Anyway, we are out there, so you just drive in your car. Your kids or grandkids stay in the car, and we put stuff in their treat bags that they're hanging out the windows. So we'd love to see you there. Um, following day, the 28th, Miss Kylie has a whole bunch of different story time, Halloween story time programs. So if that is of interest to you, we'd love to have you sign up um, this evening. If you're listening to this live and you're able to come to the library this evening, we have an author talking about Lost Ghosts of Cleveland. Um, so we have a lot of like Halloween themed or Halloween adjacent activities coming up shortly. So we'd love to see you in the building, but we're also happy to interact with you online. So again, please feel free to uh, drop a question or something like that into the chat if you have um, questions for Charlie to answer, because I'm probably not <laughs> answering your question. Um, but I think Charlie may have another article perhaps as i've been talking about things happening yes. in the library building so how would you feel if a driverless car talks to pedestrians like with a voice more with let's say symbols well given i do so well with the symbols on my cell phone and my laptop i feel <laughs> like this would not go well for me but there might be other people that it works just fine for Yes. Now I'm intrigued, though. So the company Waymu oh. uh, has a few ideas on how it can start communicating with pedestrians on the streets 
and in other vehicles, um, or even the um, the riders themselves. So um, it is talking about how driverless cars are going to start trying to, to communicate with other drivers on the road and, like I said, pedestrians before. But with an LED display on the top of the car, that will give symbols on what it, what you want what it wants you to do. So, like the example here is a little taxi with a person getting out. As someone is getting out of the vehicle, the people around know that there's someone getting out of this taxi, so that so then you people can use the taxi so that you can either use it because it's available or so that the driver that is behind you honking profusely because he doesn't understand that it's a robo taxi and he doesn't know what it's supposed to do other than drop off passenger and then leave. Um, it can let the person know that it's dropping off a passenger and or picking up a passenger. Um, it's also shown in some of the examples of like when it makes it to a crosswalk, it will give a sign of walk oh. and everything else too. So it's telling like, it's telling also pedestrians that are walking on sidewalks or through um, intersections that feel free to cross because it's considered safe and all this hmm. kind of stuff. But this is not the only part that it um, that they're working on. They're working on other ways to communicate. For right now, it seems like they're working on symbols um, to communicate with most everybody, which would make the most sense instead of just a robot voice screaming out of a speaker somehow, some way. <laughs> As you're like traveling sixty down the interstate, would be like if you're parked and saying, you know, yeah, person getting out. But then on the other hand, what happens when the person behind in road rage now gets out and goes and discovers it's a robo car and there's nobody for them to be angry at? Well, they're hoping that they'll understand that it's a driverless car, but I know how that has gone before. <laughs> I, I'm really intrigued by this. I feel like it's a really interesting way to address challenges. I really hope they end up being successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting view. I kind of, but they're only rolling it out currently in their base in San Francisco, which makes sense. which makes sense because bigger cities usually get that stuff first. Well, and I think, um, I mean, I, because I think you and Sean have talked about some of the driverless cars or things like that, mm -hmm. because it's going based on, you know, stripes on the road or things like that. And some roads around here don't have no. stripes. So, I mean, would we ever be able to have driverless cars around here? Eh, Maybe. Know. It would just, so like, depending on that kind of stuff, it would just depend on how routes are mapped out and if anything has changed since the last time the car has been taken out it, i'm that's, sorry we will be stopping a mile from your house because we can't make it there right so you have to walk down a dark road or you know, whatever <laughs> yeah something crazy like that i usually. i feel i that's yeah same with when you think about other robot things like are you really going to be able to make it to my because i think about my development there are no stripes anywhere so that mean that all our stuff is just dropped off on the I road? I mean, if, it's, if you're going through curbs, like it could probably recognize that there's like a change in um, like curbsides, maybe. Because like so. of collision detection, maybe. I, mean, I don't want it to I like mean, plow right into I could my see garage. it being like that. I mean, if it's going through San Francisco, then I'm assuming that they're probably just using line detection and like lane detection kind of and uh just the general cameras of making sure not to hit anything <laughs> i would think so and it's so hilly there too that would be mm -hmm. a whole different level of crazy the cameras consistently adjusting to make yeah. sure it's looking at the right thing and not like having some you know dog in their person running out in front of the road or yes. whatever all right, so we have a little bit less than 10 minutes. I don't know. This may mean I'm the last article. It could be. It could be. All right. So earlier in September, um, I just love this because I love being near the ocean. So as a fuel-saving measure, there are a couple companies who are 
experimenting with sails for big cargo ships. So sails like, you know, think of the huge sailboats or all these things that um, I was just recently in Salem, Massachusetts, doing um, taking their um, maritime tour where these, you know, huge sailboats in the 1830s are traveling long distances. And then this article pops up that they're experimenting with sails. Um, so ideally, the idea is um, they're hoping that if these experimentations are successful, that over the next few years, um, a large number or a majority of cargo ships would end up getting fitted with these. So the one that they're testing is called Wind Wing. Um, and so it can be raised and lowered to catch the wind, helping the ship move forward. Um, so the company that is um, pioneering some of this is Cargill. So we know that around here, you see some of the signs. So it, it for those of you who are not familiar, it's a huge um, food company. And so the reason why they are interested is because they have to depend on shipping to get their food to various locations. Um, they were looking to reduce pollution um, from shipping. So apparently, according to this article, 2.1% of the world's CO2 pollution comes from shipping. Well, so if we went to these wings and went to your cement, we'd mm -hmm. take care of almost 15% of CO2 emissions. So, um, so ideally, apparently, companies are trying to become carbon neutral by 2050. So that is less than 30 years from now. And so with cargo ships using predominantly fossil fuels, they're trying to figure out um, a way to do this. So Cargill was partnered with a company from Great Britain and um, is trying to design these sails or wings. I mean, it, looking at the, the photos, it is, I'm not even sure I'd go with wings. They sort of look like huge popsicles sticking up <laughs> on the, well, yeah. it looks like a popsicle. No, I could, I could see it. Yeah. So I think sails or wings may be a little bit, um, I, I don't go with those words, but I can see where they're trying to use them. So that's not really what it looks like, but I assume saying big popsicle on a ship is not going to work either. Um, so a couple different companies that are all working on this. And um, so it sounds like the early tests are, um, are going well. So they are studying the results. Um, They're hoping that um, by 2025, half of new cargo ships will come with some sort of um, wind power. So that's actually not very long. So that's, that's kind of, so they're experimenting also with how many of these wind wings they put on and how much that makes a difference. So I think this is something that we'll be seeing uh, coming up more over the next couple of years and um probably more in the coming months even too we'll see oh yeah because this seems to be like finding ways to generate some kind of power with just general wind and stuff like that even solar maybe even um that'll be interesting to see how that goes because I mean, it's essentially using wind power to just generate the power for the engines and power for the ship as well. So that will be interesting. So with two wind wings, whatever their test freighter, they cut the ship's pollution by 30%. What I'm not really understanding, admittedly, I, I did not fully study this article. And what they're, they're looking at is what it's doing to the amount of time for travel. And so I guess it's doing comparable travel times. So about typical travel time for but what, what a ship I didn't realize take. that some of these just take a long time I'm assuming because of the size um but it takes a so this one they were testing it going front to Brazil they're gonna send one to um where's the other one going um oh they're testing a cargo ship owned by Mitsubishi with these water wings hmm. so there are these long distances that they're covering. So, I mean, that is, it is an interesting thought. So, you know, you very well could hear more about um, wind wings when you join um, Charlie and Sean in November for the next Talking Tech. We are just coming in on about 1230. So this is our um, 
time to go ahead and come to an end. So please, again, feel free to reach out to us with any types of questions that you may have. And we'd love to communicate more with you or have you join us online. Um, we're always on the third Monday at 1130. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you as Charlie finishes up the stream.